Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Second Corinthians chapter 10 tonight, if you'll turn there. Second Corinthians chapter 10, our study tonight, we're actually talking about spiritual weapons. Spiritual weapons. Point number one on your notes, very important to understand. The faster that you learn that we do not war according to the flesh, the sooner you will start using your spiritual weapons. Now, you're going to see some stuff tonight maybe that will help you understand that a little better. But we're going to start with this simple verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that clearly tells us that we do not war any type of aspect of what we do in the battles of life. We do not do so with carnal weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to to the flesh. Now, we've got to be careful here because we don't want to take on the mentality like all of a sudden we got to defeat the devil. He is defeated, but thank God God's given us weapons for he continues to try to deceive and seduce us to mislead us away from what we have in Christ. And you and I have to use the weapons we've been given to be able to walk in victory over his deception and seduction in our life. So it's not like we're taking on the devil, you know, like you're going into the ring to kind of fight the devil or demons. No, the Bible's clear. The Bible says that he has been uh, defeated. The Bible even tells us in Colossians, Jesus stripped him of his power for us. But we got to know how we deal still with this entity called uh, Satan and his demons and his works in this earth. So how do we overcome? We don't war according to the flesh because clearly we are warring with supernatural weapons. So again, point number one, the faster that we learn this, that we do not war according to the flesh, physical carnal capabilities, that means what? So if we're warring according to the flesh, really, what are we trying to do? We're trying to overcome what we've already been given victory over with our own strength, our own abilities. But that's not what we need to do. We need to learn how to utilize what God gave us as weapons. Amen? Amen. So that moves us to point two, which now picks up verse four and five in the conversation. So verse three again, we're not walking in the flesh. Therefore, because we don't walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Notice this, verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, I'm going to show you something unique tonight. Maybe you had not seen about this before. But our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in what? They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So these weapons will not only help us to pull down strongholds, verse 5, they'll also help us to cast down arguments. What's arguments there? Reasonings that you obviously, uh, in the natural think of things, reasoning stuff out contrary to what the Word says. It will help us to cast down these reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, every high thing there continues to include every form of a thought because it says clearly that which exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. What God tells us or what we know He reveals to us. So verse 5 is saying we cast down arguments, reasonings, and every high thing, thoughts, reasonings, 
and thoughts that exalt itself against the knowledge of God, what God says, and we therefore bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So in your notes there, point number two, we have supernatural weapons in God to win the battle of the mind. So this is what you got to understand about this war and this battle. Never forget it because a lot of Christians tend to drift off at times in their life and all of a sudden they think now that they got to beat up the devil, they got to beat up demons, they got to do all these things to battle against demonic powers, demonic forces. There have been literal ministries made up who are ministries who claim we're all about, you know, going to war against the devil and, you know, defeating Satan. He's already been defeated. He's already been defeated. So what is the battle for the believer? Point number two, we have supernatural weapons of God to win the battle of what? That's, the, that's where the battle is. The battle for us is in our mind because Satan only has two aspects of what he can do to take advantage of your life. It's never changed. What are they? I just mentioned them. Deception, seduction. If you're deceived, do you know it? No, you don't. That's why you're deceived. But seduced, you do. So seduction means he draws you into something that you know you shouldn't get involved with or do, but he seduces you into it. So where does all that take place? The mind. The battle of the mind. You win the battle of the mind, you win the battle because the battle's already been won through Christ Jesus. So be careful that you don't fall into this mindset whenever you talk about warring, uh, battling, context weapons that we have, etc. We tend to kind of see people fall into this thing. Yeah, I got to stand up against the devil. Yeah, I got I to gotta be strong. I got I to gotta keep whipping these demons. No, they've already been whipped. You just got to keep putting them in their place. So realize this. Now watch this. This is, this is powerful. Listen to this. 2A, we do what? We cast down arguments, destroying what? Speculations and suspicions. Speculations and suspicions. Oftentimes, what comes to us of things that we speculate or get suspicious about, oftentimes may not even be something that's going to happen. But we begin to speculate. Well, what if? Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? A lot of times the what ifs never happen. And so you got to be careful because the devil can lead you off into this as well. And we got to realize that we're going to cast down those things because we're going to go totally by what the Word of God says. Amen? Does the Word of God say the blood was enough? Yes. What made you who you are? Don't forget it. To be, we therefore do what? We pull down strongholds, which simply are what? Past habits. Habits, things we do that we've fallen into as a habit that tries to rule us. They literally are strongholds. Now, it doesn't mean everything that you do in life in the context of the old natural man is necessarily a stronghold. How do you know if it's a stronghold? It has a stronghold on you. So thank God we have weapons to deal with it. To see, we are therefore to submit every what? Thought to the Word of God. Now I'm going to tell you, a lot of people read that and they think that's not possible. Why would he tell us, according to verse 5, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ if we could not do it? Now, if you want to help yourself to bring every thought in submission to the Word of God, which, by the way, if you bring every thought into submission by the Word of God, as it relates to Jesus, what would you be walking in the light of the way Jesus did? I only say what I hear the Father say. Why? Because I'm thinking His thoughts. I only do what I see the Father 
do. So here's the key. If you want to live in this lifestyle of submitting every thought to the Word of God, guess what you're going to have to live in? The Word of God. And guess what you're going to have to get out of? The things of the world. Now, that don't mean you can't ever watch something of a movie. We watch movies. I watch old westerns because, honestly, there's more old westerns more biblical than most other stuff on television today. Now, I say old westerns. I don't watch the new junk that's filled with all kinds of foul language and nudity and all that garbage. See, that's the point. If you want to truly bring every thought into captivity, the obedience of Christ, quit allowing things to influence you in a way that goes contrary to what the Bible says. Amen? But I'm telling you, if you live in the Word of God, you literally can bring every thought into captivity because guess what? That's what you're going to be thinking about. That is the way you're going to think. So it's just like the Word of the Lord that God gave us tonight. If I truly want to walk in the light of who God says I am, I have to think of myself in the way that the Bible teaches me as to who I am, which is all based on the blood of what Jesus did for me. So, point number three, this is powerful, this is important. The devil can only tempt you with those things and in those areas that are common to man. Now, let's explain that a little further. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, when you think about this, in most of the cases where it's taught or you think about it as it relates to us not being tempted beyond what obviously man's tempted, we just think of... I'm not going to get tempted in anything other than what others have been tempted in. They won't get tempted in anything other than what I would be tempted in. True, but the heart of this statement is actually not referring to that. I want you to see this because this is really going to help you understand. We don't, we don't realize, do you understand the devil's limited in what he can do in your life? If he was unlimited, man, he could take far more advantage of your life than what he obviously already tries to do. But he is limited. He's limited by spiritual laws that God put in the earth. So realize this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, listen, except such as is common to man. So see, he's not saying you're not tempted in something somebody else isn't. That's actually not the phrase here. What he's saying is that you will never be tempted in anything other than that which is of the carnal nature. That limits Satan. I'm going to show you this. Because we know, James says, no one is tempted by God. So who tempts you? The devil does. But this is so powerful. Read it again. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Now you're going to see this. Meaning that Satan cannot tempt you with spiritual things. He's limited. He cannot. Only, the only things he can tempt you with is that which is common to man. To man. Humans. See, a lot of people think Satan's tempting them with spiritual things. He can't. He doesn't have that ability. Spiritual law doesn't permit him to. Read it again. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to what? Man. Not spiritual beings. Mankind. But God is faithful. Say faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
Think about this, okay? So we talked about it tonight. I am who God says I am because of the blood. Well, what did the blood change in you? Your spirit man. Your spirit man's a new creation, brand new. You are a spirit, have a soul, but you still live in a body. You still got a soulish nature to deal with that has to be renewed and has to be saved according to James chapter 1. And a body that continues to want to do things contrary to the word of God. There's nothing good, the Bible says, in the flesh that dwells. Nothing. When James says that Satan tempts us, not God, therefore how can he tempt us? He can only tempt you in one way, through carnal things. He can't tempt you spiritually. He cannot tempt you through spiritual means. He can only tempt you through carnal fleshly things. Because the Bible says you are tempted by your own desires. Now wait a minute, whose own desires? Your spirit man's? Does your spirit man have a desire to sin? Nope, the old carnal nature does. So when Satan tempts us, what is he tempting us with? Carnal things. Not spiritual, carnal things. This is important to understand because it will help you know he's not as powerful as some people give him credit to be. Read it again. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to humans, man. But God is faithful who will not allow you. God will not allow you. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He won't let you be tempted with spiritual things that could literally take advantage of you spiritually. He's limited. Satan's limited to only tempting you with carnal things, which God's given you tools and, and weapons to overcome those things. Because when the temptation, where does it, when that temptation comes, where does that temptation come in relationship to you before you act it out? Comes in your mind. That's where the battle is. So that temptation comes to the mind. Again, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Because you as a spirit being have the ability to overcome the natural flesh. But with the temptation, he will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Look at your notes. Listen carefully. Again, number three, the devil can only tempt you with those things. And in those areas that are common to man. Read it with me. Say it out loud. The devil can only tempt you with those things and in those areas that are common to man. He can't tempt you beyond the things or areas that are common to mankind. Man, humans. Can't tempt you spiritually. He can only tempt you with carnal things. That's where the temptation is. He can't tempt your spirit, man, because he can't tempt you with spiritual things. You listening? He's only tempting you with carnal, natural things. 3A, therefore, mind reading, this is powerful, mind reading is not common to man. See, when people say, I can read your mind, no, they can't. They cannot. Well, I've known people that have done it. No, they got information from another demon. And guess what they didn't actually hear? They didn't hear your immediate thoughts. You may have said something that a demon heard. See, a lot of people don't know how demons work. They're called familiar spirits. They, They may have heard you say something, now you're thinking it. And somebody who's working with that demon could tell you, well, here's what I happen to know you're thinking. Well, you would have had to set it for a demon to know that because guess what demons cannot do? They cannot read your mind. They're not permitted to. You listening? Satan's not all knowing. God is. Demons are not all knowing. God is. And this is where Satan kind of gets a foothold in some people's lives by a lie, by a deception. Well, he knows what I'm thinking. No, Satan has no way of knowing what you're thinking unless you say it. 
And that's why Jesus often told people not to say things after he did certain works or miracles because then the devil couldn't take further advantage of it. A lot of times we don't realize, and it's been said by great men and women of God for years, if God reveals something to you, that don't mean you need to go spout off about what it is God's revealed to you that he wants for your future and be saying it all the time to everybody around you because guess what? The devil hears it now. He can go to work to try to stop it. Amen? There are things sometimes God will say to you just for you to hear, not for you to tell everybody else about. Because if you're telling other people and familiar spirits are around, they can hear it and pick up on it. So mind reading is not common to man. You can't read my mind. I cannot read yours. I don't care what anybody... Remember, Satan's a deceiver. And there are people that work with demons who seem like they are mind readers. But the fact is, if you really got down to the heart of what they actually are saying, they read somebody's mind over, they'd already said that. They'd already spoken it. So mind reading is not common to man. Underline it. Therefore, he cannot read your mind. The devil cannot read your mind. He does not know what you're thinking unless you tell him. 3B, he, the devil, has to stick to natural or carnal means to tempt you. He is not permitted to use the spirit realm to tempt you. He is not permitted to do so. He's only permitted to tempt you with carnal things. 3C, the weapons of his warfare are carnal. Get that. The weapons of Satan's warfare against you are carnal. He is under divine law. His weapons are not spiritual. Think about that. Satan's weapons are not spiritual. His weapons are carnal because he's limited to tempting you with carnal things. Therefore, the only weapons he can use are carnal weapons. Therefore, 3D, the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty, mighty, come on, mighty through God. So your weapons are far superior. I said your weapons are far superior. I'm gonna, I, I should have added it to our study tonight. It wasn't in the original notes, so I didn't. But go to James real quick. Right. I know some people out there are probably saying, Oh, I don't know about that, man. I mean, the devil's tempted me with spiritual things. Not possible. If he has, then the Bible's a lie. And we have now uh, obviously done something contrary to the Bible. Because the Bible's clear about temptations. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you're there, say Amen. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, in other words, overcomes the temptation, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what? Come on, by what? His own desires and enticed. Your spirit man has no, no desires for sin. If if your spirit had a desire for sin, the Holy Spirit couldn't live in you. That is why God had to to part from Adam and Eve to begin with. Because of the sin that was in them. But thank God, I am not tempted by spiritual things, nor are you. We're tempted by our own carnal desires. 15, then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And notice this, sin when it's full grown will bring forth death. Do not be uh, deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from where? From above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is what? 
no variation or shadow of turning. So if the devil can tempt me only with my desires, my desires can't be coming from my spirit man because my spirit man's born again has no such desire to sin. Where are those desires at? In my flesh. So the devil, say it, the devil only has carnal weapons. I have supernatural weapons. So the truth is the devil has no weapons to come against you with other than that which is carnal, which makes total understanding um, and sense of why he can only either deceive you or seduce you. Because if he could go beyond that, he could use spiritual weapons, but he can't. He doesn't deceive you with spiritual weapons. He don't seduce you with spiritual weapons. He does so through carnal means. All right? One of the biggest ways Satan comes against people and takes advantage of their life. Anybody know the number one temptation Satan uses to get people under his control? Fear. Fear is of your carnal nature. You've not been given a spirit of fear. You listening? You don't have a spirit of fear. Your spirit has no fear in it. So the, the number one way Satan takes advantage of people is fear. He does that through carnal means, right? Financial situations, physical situations, et cetera, et cetera. He's going to do it through some form of carnal means, not spiritual. So watch this. Powerful. Number four on your notes there. Pastor's pastor for 23 plus years was John Osteen. John Osteen once said, when you win the battle in your mind, guess what? You've won the battle. battle. Now, what do I have to win that battle? Spiritual weapons, supernatural, spiritual weapons. Number five on your notes, Fred Price, who was also a good friend of our pastors now in heaven, a guy that truly taught faith and lived by faith for many, many, many years. Fred Price once said, the mind is the arena of faith. Now, how could it be the arena of faith, pastor, when we believe in our heart? You'll never believe in your heart if you don't win the battle of the mind. If you don't win the battle of the mind, you'll literally hinder faith from rising up in your heart. Because you have to get to the point where you meditate on the word uh, long enough in the context of your mind that it now gets down in your heart and produces faith. But the problem is not the heart. The problem is the mind that hinders that from happening. Therefore, guess what? The mind is the arena of faith. The arena in which the battle takes place as to whether I get faith in my heart or not. Where's the actual battle taking place? The arena of the mind. Therefore, it's the arena of faith. Because if I don't get my mind under control and my thoughts renewed to the word of God, there's no way I'm going to get faith in my heart. Now, faith is not of the head. He's not saying that the mind is the arena of faith, meaning that you have to have faith in your head. No, but you'll never get faith in your heart if you don't do what? Deal with your mind. That's just a fact. The reason that people lack faith for the most part is because they allow their reasonings to continue to go contrary to what the Bible says. And because they do, they don't win the battle of the mind. And therefore, they're devoid of faith. Number six, even the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament Scriptures that the carnal mind is what? Enmity against God and cannot receive the things of God. Well, now you're saying my mind can't receive them? No, he's saying that your mind in the way that it functions normally on its own is carnal in its way of thinking. And that's why you got to subject it to the things of the Spirit. That's why you got to subject it to the Word of God. 
All this means is, I want you to read it again. Apostle Paul tells us that the carnal mind is enmity against God and cannot receive the things of God. Simple. Let the mind do what it wants. Let the mind think what it wants. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to go carnal. It's going to go carnal. Because it can't receive the things of God on its own. That's why you have to submit your mind to the word of God. That's why you have to renew your mind to the word of God. Amen? And when you do, you can now begin to wash that mind, begin to think like God, get faith in your heart, and see it work for you. So therefore, number seven, this is important, we must all function beyond the natural realm. Why? Because we have spiritual weapons. If you want to walk in the victory that's already been given you, you have to learn to function beyond this natural realm. Now, we don't mean get weird and crazy and wacko and fruity and everything's a spiritual attack and all this kind of stuff because, again, uh, they're not spiritual attacks, they're carnal. We all must function beyond the natural realm for it is subject to what? It is subject to what? Change. So we just operate by the natural realm. We're going to be subject to whatever happens in the natural realm. But if we begin to realize we function beyond the natural realm, guess what we can do? We can help facilitate the change in the right way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at it. Come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, even as it relates to, you think about this when it relates to uh, casting demons out. Well, but wouldn't casting a demon out be battling a spiritual demon? No. You're telling it what it has to do based on what Jesus has accomplished through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You couldn't tell it what to do otherwise. So when you deal with a demon, it's still not a spiritual battle. All you're doing is enforcing what he now has to respond and obey to. So it's not even a battle with a demon to get a demon out. And that's where people lose the battle in casting out demons. Been there, done that. They're going to now go to battle against the demon to try to cast it out. You'll lose because he's already been defeated. What you're doing is you're enforcing the very victory you've been given as a child of God. So how does that demon affect you or tempt you in a carnal way to get you to leave it alone? He gets you in fear. He gets you focused on what you're seeing in the natural, and what you see in the natural, like the context of a demon throwing that boy down and the, and the disciples couldn't cast it out. Well, they just simply didn't believe what they spoke then. But Jesus did, and that demon came out. So you got to understand that he's still going to function some way with the natural to get you in fear to be able to take advantage of your life. Now notice this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to throw in a couple extra verses just for good measure. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, whatever we deal with in the natural, is but for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 18, very important. While we do not look at the things which are seen. We do not look at the things which are seen. Why? Because we're not battling with stuff in the natural. If you look at what's seen, you're going to wind up battling what's in the natural. Meaning, if that's what your focus becomes. Now, this is important because a lot of people take this verse to mean that I'm going to deny anything I see in the natural. Didn't say say to to deny it. If somebody was demon-possessed, we don't deny it. If someone is in need of healing, we don't deny it. We're not denying what's there, but you know what we don't do? We don't focus on it. Our focus is on something else. Listen to this. You do not... Look at the things that are seen. Focus on them. But at the things which are what? 
So our focus is not on what's seen. Our focus is what it on is our focus is on what is not seen. What's not seen? Our spiritual weapons and how they function. Context of what the Bible promises may not be yet seen in the natural, but we already know it's so because we can see it in the spiritual. God's words are spirit. And what he said is spirit. Jesus said it. The words I speak to your spirit and life. How many know spiritual realm is more real than the natural realm? Therefore, even though we can't see it, we know it's true. So we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? What are they? Now, this is, this is a twofold thing you need to understand. What is seen is temporary or subject to change. So if things we see are temporary, how many know the weather's going to change by tomorrow? <laughs> if what we see is temporary or subject to change, should we focus on that? If you do, you're going to continue to go up and down with the things you see. But if you focus on what God said, what may not yet be seen, guess what? You're going to walk a stable, mature, solid, victorious life as a child of God. Because the things that are seen are what? Temporary. So because they are, we don't want to focus on those things. If we do, we're going to allow the things that we focus on that are temporary as they change to change us. I want you to get that. If I'm focused on my body, then I'm going to allow however my body goes to change how I go. My body feels good, I'm going to say I feel good and I'm healed. My body feels bad, I'm going to say I don't feel good, I'm not healed. I'm going to go by what my body says. If I focus on my body, which is temporary, subject to change. Come on, somebody. If I focus on what's going on in the natural, amen. amen. You know, we had a tornado coming towards our house the other night. I don't focus on that. I looked at it, but I commanded it in Jesus' name to obey and to go up in the clouds and to stay away. And it did. So you have to understand, I'm not focused on the natural. I so wished I want to do a, a teaching. I really want to make some time to do a little mini teaching to get out into, into a Facebook and all social media to help Christians understand, I wished you understood your authority. I wish you understood your authority. Jesus didn't run for a storm shelter. Now listen, if you don't know your authority, you better go to a storm shelter. I'm not, I'm not telling you to try to act like you got something you don't know you have. But I wish Christians knew their authority. Because thank God, these things are not to harm us. You listening? A lot of people say, well, that was just the Son of God that did that. Go back to the boat experience when he rebuked the winds and the waves. What did he say to his disciples? Where was your faith? Where was your faith? Come on, I've given you authority. You've already been using it against demons and other stuff. Why didn't you just use it against this storm? There's nothing of this planet that has the right to alter what God's called you to do. Let alone destroy your home or take advantage of destroying your property. Thank you for your amends about that. So clearly it says here on number seven, notice this. Looking at the invisible things of God is a real weapon. Think about that. Think about that. Looking at the invisible things of God is a real weapon against the enemy. Think about it. If I will focus on the invisible things of God, meaning that I may see what his word says, it may not be manifest in my body yet or in my circumstances yet, but I see it because it's right here in the word. I take hold of it. I see it with that inner eye of faith. And therefore, that becomes a great weapon against the devil. Because if you focus on what you can't see that the Bible says, the devil's defeated. 
He wants you to get, he wants to get you. Verse 18 is telling you this. The devil wants you focused on what you see. God wants you focused on what you can't see. That's simple. So uh, 7a, you got to learn to look at what? At the eternal things, not at your circumstances. Every promise of God is a promise that is eternal. He's not going to give it and take it away. 7b, those who see, this is powerful. Circle, underline, underline, highlight this word on the back of your page there. 7b, those who see the invisible will do the impossible. You know, when God gave Abram, at the time Abram, a promise to have a child, obviously Abram had to believe that him and Sarah, according to God's word, had a child. And he began to believe it by changing his name to Abraham and him declaring it. Now, if he didn't believe it, he would have been saying something clearly contrary to what he believed because he began to say, I am a father of a multitude. But the Bible does say he believed God. So he clearly believed in seeing what was not seen. He was able to see the invisible and therefore do in the natural what seemed impossible. Romans chapter 4, back up. Say, thank you, Father. Come on, for my spiritual weapons. Never forget it. The devil can't use spiritual weapons against you because if he could in the natural, he could defeat you. You listening? Spiritual weapons are far more powerful than natural weapons. Spiritual weapons are far more powerful than natural weapons. But he can't use spiritual weapons against you. He can only tempt you to what is common to man. But thank God we do have weapons stronger than what he has to use against us. Because we do have spiritual weapons. Any amens on that? Romans chapter 4 verse 17. If you're there, say amen. Notice this. This is a great chapter to read in relationship to faith in the context of the promise. Beginning in verse 13 that God gave to Abraham. But look at verse 17. As it is written, speaking about God's promise to Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. Who had made him a father of many nations? God did. I have made you a father of many nations. So let's go back to the word God gave us tonight. Who made you who you are? God did. What made you what you are? The blood did. Because of the blood, you've been made who God says he made you to be. I have made you, Abraham, a father of many nations. In the presence of him, God, whom he, Abraham, believed, God, who gives life to the dead. What does he do? He gives life to the dead. Listen, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God calls, another way that this is worded in the Greek, God calls into existence, the natural, things that don't exist in the natural. They exist in the spiritual, but he calls them into existence when they don't yet exist in the natural. Read it again. God who gives life to the dead, he does what? Calls those things which do not exist as what? As what? As though they did. Number eight on your notes. We are to operate in the spirit of faith. We are to operate in the spirit of faith. Not the spirit of fear or doubt and unbelief. If we operate in the spirit of fear, doubt, or unbelief, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're not winning the battle of our mind for sure, but what are we doing? What are we focused on? If we're walking in a spirit of fear, doubt, or unbelief, what are we focused on? What we see. 
things in the natural. If we operate in the spirit of faith, what are we focused on? Things we can't yet see. God himself does it. He calls what you can't yet see as though it was because in the spirit it is. You listening? 8A, faith itself is a great weapon. Aren't you glad? Faith itself is a great weapon against Satan's number one weapon, fear. His number one weapon, fear. He's going to get you in fear by getting you focused on the wrong thing. 8B, faith calls those things that are not as though they were seeing what God has said as already so. Seeing what God has seen. Seeing what God has said as already so. You got to see what God has said as already so. And if you do, then you call those things that are not as though it were. Any amens on that? Okay, 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at some more weapons. 1 Corinthians 14. Say, thank you, Jesus. You've given me weapons. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. 14, 2. For he who speaks in a tongue, supernatural language, does not speak to men but to God. Listen, for no one, no one understands him, including demons. No one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks what? Mysteries. Mysteries. You know, it's kind of like this private communication linkage that you have between you and God. Humans don't know what you're saying. The devil doesn't know what you're saying, but God does. Look at verse 4. He goes on to say about this, that he who speaks in a tongue, talking to God, what is he doing? He's edifying himself. He's building himself up. He who, of course, prophesies, simple prophecy, will edify the church because those are words understood. But he who speaks in a tongue is doing what? Edifying himself. On your notes there, Jude 20, I know you probably already know this verse. The Bible says that you are building yourself up on your most holy faith. How? Praying what? Praying what? Now listen to this. You're building yourself up. You are building you, your spirit man, up stronger on your most holy faith. Faith is a spiritual force. It's not a natural force. It's a spiritual force. When you build yourself up spiritually, what are you actually uh, building yourself up on your most holy faith? What are you doing? You're building yourself up spiritually. How many know faith comes by? Hearing hearing by the... When you're speaking in tongues, who's speaking? Your spirit is. Who's giving the words? So God is speaking. Are you speaking the word of God? So when you speak the word of God, what's happening? Faith is coming to your spirit, man. Your most holy faith. So realize that when you pray in the spirit, you are not only talking to God, you are also edifying your spirit man because you are, as the Bible says, speaking in line with God's word and therefore you're building faith. And faith is a spiritual force. It's called a spiritual law because it's a spiritual force. Number nine, praying in tongues is one of your most powerful weapons and perhaps the most edifying. Probably the most edifying or personal way to build yourself up is praying in the Holy Spirit. Again, as you're doing that in relationship to dealing with stuff in the natural, if you're praying in the Holy Spirit, you're not only talking to God. The Bible also says that you are praying in the perfect will of God. And therefore, again, who cannot hear it? Satan can. 
he can't hinder what's going on in that conversation. And he can't hinder you from being built up spiritually. Pretty good. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We need to use our spiritual weapons. We need to understand that the battle is in the mind. And how we overcome that battle is with these weapons. And as we build our spirit man up stronger and stronger, I guarantee you the easier you'll win the battle of the mind. Because if you build up your spirit stronger, he becomes more dominant rather than your soul. And you're going to win the battle of the mind. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, 23, 24. Familiar verses I know. But these are again context of what we have of moral weaponry. Jesus said for assuredly. Say, that's, um, say this, I'm taking it to the bank. That's, that's making a statement like, hey, I'm taking this to the bank. Assuredly, I, I actually love more so really the direct context of the Greek rendering. You ready? It's this way and no other. When Jesus says, for assuredly. Now, how many know a phrase we actually say in the natural that goes along with this? Anybody know a phrase we use that goes along with this? Another phrase that we use when we pray? Amen. See, for, assure, uh, for assuredly, I say, when he says assuredly, it's like the same phrase we make when we say amen. Now, if we say amen and we don't really understand what we're saying, it has no power to it. But what does amen mean? It's this way for me and no other. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. See, amen means it is this way for me and no other. Assuredly, I say, I know it says to you, whoever says. Who's this for? Anybody can do it. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Now, the last part of that verse is important to understand as I point out all the time. He didn't say he will have whatever simply he agrees with God on. No, he's going to have whatever he says. Whatever you believe in your heart and you speak, you're going to have it. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, what do you do? You believe that you receive them and you will what? Now, you should never even pray about something unless you already know in your heart absolute that you believe in it. Till you believe it in your heart, praying is not going to cause you to see it happen in any aspect of your life. It's not going to come to pass because you got to believe you receive it when you pray. And you believe with your heart. So if I don't believe it with my heart yet, how do I know when I believe it in my heart, Pastor? You'll know. Absolutely, your heart. You'll know. You'll, you won't realize anything else in life could be true other than what God said. You'll believe what God said. Right. Amen. Amen. It'll come alive in your heart. So on your notes there, on number 10, your mouth is also lethal. Come on, somebody. Your mouth is lethal to the devil when you say what God says and do not doubt after you say it. If I say what God says, that's all, and I believe in my heart, what I say will come to pass, and I'm lining it up with God, that's a weapon. That's a lethal weapon. Come on, somebody. Romans 4, 17, which we already looked at again, is saying again that you're calling those things that are not as though they were. 10a, you've got to believe. This is a powerful statement. I posted it today. You've got to believe you've got it before you get it. You ought, to, you, ought to just, you ought to just meditate on that statement, I mean, over and over and over again. This is a Bible principle to faith. This is a faith fact. You've got to believe you got it before you get it. 
It's what the Lord taught Brother Hagin directly. He literally taught him a context of an actual teaching that he did called How to Write Your Ticket with God. And he got all kinds of flack over that. Because he's like, oh, what do you mean write your ticket with God? The Lord told him you could. And the Lord showed him with the woman with the issue of blood, the literal steps that you can take just like her to write your ticket with God. She got her healing because of what she did. That's right. Amen? And so you and I, part of this is understanding that you've got to do what? Faith believes you've got it before you actually get it. So it already sees it, it believes it, and therefore when you say it, you believe you receive when you pray, before you ever even get it. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 18, last verse for tonight. Matthew 18, praise God, you'll be able to go from here... Okay, you'll be able to go from here tonight and say, I survived another message. <laughs> Just teasing. I know, you're, I know you're enjoying it. Matthew 18, last point on your notes. Walking, walking together in faith with other believers is a great strength, too strong for Satan to mess with. It's another weapon. It's another weapon. Walking together in faith with other believers. Now realize, you got to have true believers who believe the Bible. You know, you can't have somebody who says they do, but really doesn't. You got to have somebody who truly does believe the Bible. But boy, if you've got another person who believes the Bible, I'll guarantee you what, it's a great strength and it's way too strong for Satan to mess with. How do we know? Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth. How many believe what Jesus said? If two of you agree. So agree means we believe. We both believe. If two of you agree on earth concerning what? Anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Think about that statement. Seriously, I know you've heard it before, but think about it. Take time when you read verses, no matter how many times you've heard them, to meditate on that truth. Listen to what he said. What a powerful promise. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree, and see, I can't tell you in my years as a pastor how many people I've, got, I've gone to get in agreement with. And I'll say there's multiple ways we can do this, but we can do a prayer of agreement. But no matter what happens, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, if you're not in, agree- in agreement, it won't work. I know God heals. I know God delivers. I know God does what he says he'll do. I've seen it happen time and time again in my life and others. But I'll tell you right now, my prayer alone is not going to save you. My prayer alone is not going to get your answer. We have to agree. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for people who later I found out told me they agreed. And when I walked away, that wasn't the case. They spoke contrary. I don't mean like intentionally, they just did. They, just, they, they spoke completely contrary to what we prayed and believed. If you believe you receive after you pray, what would you be talking like? What you just really simple. Yeah. Really simple. Ready? Back to Romans 4.13. I call those things as not, as though they were. Because if I believed I received it, then guess what? As far as I'm concerned, I already got it. So I guess what I'm going to be saying, that's mine. I already got it. And I can't tell you many people, sadly, I prayed for, even at this altar, and I've gone, gone to their home or hospital and prayed for them and said, now listen, if you'll get in agreement, God will do what he said. How many think Jesus lied? No. How many think God lied? No. If this is a lie, then we're, we're here wasting our time because salvation's a lie. It's not, no. You listening? 
If God lied about that context of this verse, then clearly he's somebody who doesn't tell us the truth. But he doesn't lie. I said he doesn't lie. Read it again. Listen to it with your heart. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth, all it takes is two to get in absolute faith agreement on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them. It will be done for them. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So we want to see what God obviously desires to have come to pass in our life. We got to get in agreement. We can't be in agreement if we don't know what is God's will for us. And that's why it's so important to know the word and know God's will. Because if we don't know that it's God's will, it's like I've shared with you many times that Brother Hagin has gone and, and in his life when he was here, gone to pray for people and get to talking to them and ask them two questions. Do you believe God could do this? Yes. Almost nobody says no. But then the second question, do you believe he'll do it for you? Well, I don't know. So see, until they get in agreement that it is his will, then guess what? His prayer is not going to change that. They got, an, they got to get an agreement with God's will and therefore an agreement with what Brother Hagin knew. It is his will for you to be healed. And if you'll accept that as a fact, guess what? If, a tool, if two or more shall agree as touching them, anything they ask, what will happen? My father will see to it that it happens. Can I get a better amen? So you and I got to realize that again, walking together in faith with other believers is a great strength and it is too strong for Satan to mess with. If you can find other people who believe the Bible who will agree with you, man, I'm going to tell you right now. Now, what if you can't find another believer to agree with you? Guess, guess what? This is how Brother Hagin got healed because he saw this. He said, you know, I don't know anybody that anoints with oil that believes in healing. So I can't apply the James 5 verses because I don't know anybody who obviously would do that and, and, and agree and pray the prayer of faith. Do you know the oil doesn't heal you? Do you, do you know the actual minister praying for you doesn't heal you? Right. What heals you? The prayer of faith, which releases the Holy Spirit to go to work. So I don't know anybody to do that. I don't know anybody who agrees with healing, so I don't have anybody to agree with me. Or two or more shall agree. I don't have anybody, Lord, because I don't know anybody who would agree with me. He said, yes, you do. He said, I do. He said, yeah, the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He lives in you. He'll agree with you. All you got to do is agree with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And that's how he came off his deathbed. Amen. Amen. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.